You are listening to the Conquering Everest podcast. This is episode 51. Welcome to the Conquering Everest podcast. My name is Brian Talore, and let me just say thank you. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Now, if you've not already hit that follow button, go ahead and hit that I should say click the follow button. I don't want you hitting the monitor, okay? That would not be a good thing. That would that would be a bad thing. So click using your mouse, click the follow button on whatever platform, podcast platform you listen to this show on. That way you become part of the inner circle. And every time a new episode is uploaded, you uh, should be notified. I'm hoping that all of the major po- podcast platforms out there are notifying you uh, when, when, when a new episode goes live on those podcasts that you follow. Also, make sure you share this episode out on your social media timelines. Be a conduit of hope and inspiration. You just never know when someone's story is going to make a positive change in someone else's life. So make sure you get the word out about this episode and this podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to help this podcast out with a donation, there is a link in the description below. We've got multiple ways that you, the listener, can give back to this podcast uh, with a gift of any size. And I truly mean any size. Every little bit helps, helps this podcast to grow, helps us keep doing what we're doing and get better at it. So financial gifts, please see the see the link in the description below. Okay, that's enough of that. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Ron Blake. One moment in time changed Ron's life forever. See, he was home, he was ill, he was sleeping, trying to get some rest when three men broke into his home, severely beat him, and raped him. These men left him for dead, but he didn't die. This is Ron's story. Ron Blake, welcome to the Conquering Everest podcast. Hi, Brian. Happy, what is today? Um, Tuesday. 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 Yeah. It's a recording this on a Tuesday. Um, we had a great pre-interview, uh, I guess uh, is what we call a good conversation uh, a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, there's a lot to unpack in your story, uh, not only uh, with the circumstances around what got you to where you are today, but some of the things you've been doing. Uh, I haven't met anybody like you that's kind of traveled around and done these type of things. So I'm looking forward to getting into um, into your story. And so that especially so that our audience can uh, hear about uh, what's going on and uh, what you've been through. So I'm going to let you go ahead and kick this off if you don't mind. Um, just introduce us to uh, Ron's story. Yeah. Um, and I think the best way to do that, well, really, uh, you know, I, I'll get to the good stuff, meaning the happier stuff. Um, but I, you know, you have to start with the rough stuff. I mean, I wouldn't be on this journey if something bad didn't happen. So um, I'll get to that. And then we can start working toward um, the much better part of the, of the story. But um, yeah, I've been on this, gosh, I think this journey now is close to, it's approaching 2,200 consecutive days. Um, but it all began, the journey actually began with a moment of laughter I had on a suicidal night almost six years ago. And I had been struggling and struggling with um, PTSD, depression from a trauma that happened um, a couple years before that suicidal night. That trauma um, 
it occurred. I had been sleeping in my home in downtown Phoenix. I uh, lived in a, a loft on the seventh floor in downtown. And on that night, three men came into my home. I was held down. I was raped. I was beaten. Uh, the guys almost killed me. And there's just, it was horrific what happened. Um, there's a whole involvement with the police. Uh, my rape was categorically dismissed because I'm a gay man. Um, we have documentation of that, sadly. Um, it's not, you know, sometimes people hear you say something like that and think, well, you know, if that's your opinion. No, I mean, there, there was documentation that, you know, it wasn't taken seriously. So in a lot of ways, what happened to me that night was really like a double trauma. It's like, you know, you're getting hit by one tidal wave and then here comes another one to wipe you out. Um, you know, cause that night I called 911. I did, I did what almost no rape survivors do is at the moment it was happening, I called 911 and all of the police showed up with all the perpetrators there. Uh, it was a bloody crime scene. It's pretty, it's just, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, if it wasn't yeah. me and I was hearing this story, I would just be, gosh, I mean, it's, it's tough. And so I, I'm, I'm just letting people know like the depths of what I went through. So sometimes when people hear that, if they've never been through something like that, then hopefully they can feel it through, through me and, and understand um, what a lot of us trauma survivors, what we'll go through. So that's what happened to me. Um, and over the years, you just, you know, I had seven people there that night, four police officers, three perpetrators, and they all tell you it didn't happen. And you know it happened. And that's the struggle with trauma is, is in this situation that, um, you know, you, you start doubting yourself, thinking, well, if seven people showed up there and said this didn't happen, then did it really happen? And you start doubting yourself. And that's really tough. And then over the years, there's been gaslighting. Um, I have a team of people. Uh, um, I, I'm just making sure I can say certain things, but there's a team of people working with me and we hope someday to have justice. Um, but more importantly, I'll get back to this journey. Um, so then I had struggled with the PTSD for a couple of years. I would have nightmares. Um, and finally on that November 2nd of 2015, I woke up from what I tell people was just yet another nightmare. And on that night, I just said, I'm done. You know, it's like, I, I go back to that tidal wave reference that let's say you're out at sea and your ship capsizes and you just get, you know, day after day, these waves keep hitting you. And at some point in time, you just say, let the next one just take me. I just, I want to be done with this pain. And that's what happened on that night in November, a few years, six years ago. Um, I was wiped out. <laughs> when you wake up and you can't tell the difference between your nightmares and your reality, you're done. You know, and that's, I, I wrote a story for some of my editors about that a couple of Halloweens ago. Uh, a lot of people didn't even know that what I was writing was actually based upon a true story because I had my editors and I had readers saying, wow, that was a horrifying story. That's great that you were able to be so creative. Well, what I did is I actually took that experience of not being able to differentiate between your nightmares and reality. And I, yeah, I turned it into that story and I shifted it around a little bit. So people didn't know specifically it was a rape, but it was based upon that. And so the good part of that is I was able to take something and turn it into like a Stephen King moment to entertain people. And, and I feel like to me, if I can do that or other trauma survivors, if we're able to take our traumas and turn it into something that can be like entertainment, meaning it's just, it, it could be used in a good fashion. So a lot of people are never even told um, what that story was based on and it's okay. I mean, 
because I'm able to turn it into art. And so it, it allows me that, that ability to find a way to keep going. Um, but yes. And so that spark, that moment that this is where the happy stuff hopefully starts is on that night. Um, as I sat there, I got all my pills out. I was going to take my life. I put the pills on my lap. Um, but there was something that stopped me. I looked at the television and it was on and it shouldn't have been on every night. I'd set the timer, uh, the television would go off. And so on this night, when I woke up, I just, I had the water bottle, I had all those pills ready. And I remember glancing at the TV and I thought, huh, that's unusual. Like that should have gone off. And, and there was this show, it was called the late show with Stephen Colbert and it was playing. Uh, he's a comedy guy. If people don't know the show and something made me laugh at that moment. And I remember just pausing the show and I sat there for a while that that moment was the, that was it. It stopped me from taking my life. Um, you know, I leave it up to everybody to decide, was that God? Was that a higher power? Was that the universe? Was that Allah? You know, what stopped me? Like, why would that television of all <laughs> nights, why would that be the night it doesn't go off? And it, and it happens to be on this show and it happens to be something that makes me laugh. Everything had to be going in the right direction for that moment to exist. And I just felt this powerful, I told people, I actually saw myself, I, <laughs> then you start telling people things like this and they think you're yeah. crazy. Well, I really don't care, but I saw <laughs> myself and I believe it was in the future sitting next to Stephen Colbert. I just, I had this vision and I just thought, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to tell my story. I'm going to tell what happened this night and I'm not going to stay quiet about what happened to me anymore because that's what was killing me. So anyway, that's the happy moment, the moment of Esperanza, the, the moment of hope that happened. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll shut yeah. up for a minute, Brian. And if you, <laughs> if you want to ask me any questions or redirect me, uh, I just wanted to get you guys to, to the, from taking you from the bad stuff to that spark of hope. And that started the journey. Yeah. I, you know, and it, the, I don't really have any questions for you, but I, I definitely can feel um, where you're coming from you know, although, you know, my circumstances in life are different, but to have, you know, this moment and then everybody around you trying to convince you that it's not really as bad as you think it is, or it didn't exist. Cause I've had those moments in my life where it was like, I felt like I was legitimately going crazy because everybody was discounting my feelings or my, my, my story. So it's like a double whammy for you. <laughs> of all things is, you know, this night, this, this terrible thing is happening. And then the people that are supposed to protect you and help you don't live up to their, you know, their end of the bargain. Um, so you, you, you know, you kind of suffered in silence. It sounds like for a while you decided to be vulnerable. You let your story out, although you kind of phrased it. So it was more of um, it was told uh, while true story, it was told in a way that, people could absorb it and, you know, and, and not shy away from the content. Uh, and then, and then this moment when, when, when you watched, you know, you, the TV's on. So what, what inspiration at that point, um, you saw yourself with Stephen Colbert. So what, what was next on your mind? Like, did, were you able to relax and sleep or were you just all of a sudden filled with these ideas or thoughts? Like what, what happened for you then? That night I slept. I, I ended up going back to bed. I don't know exactly if it was 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but I remember I slept well that night. It's, um, 
in some ways, I guess uh, it just felt like a big weight was lifted. Um, but I think more importantly, it was just that I felt like there was a way out, like that mm -hmm. moment of hope. Um, <laughs> it like there's a movie called Billy Elliot from years ago, probably 20 years yeah. ago. Um, a really good movie if nobody's ever seen it. But this kid and it, it reminded me of this moment where this kid, Billy Elliot, he's like a 10 or 11 year old kid, grows up in a very hard scrabble area of England, like coal mining area. Um, it's just a, you know, a rough area. The kid's lost his mom. It's his, the family's struggling. And this kid turns out he wants to be a ballet dancer. He's really good too. <laughs> and like, this is not where you like find ballet dancers coming. Um, and especially from this little kid, but he's, he eventually goes to like London to do an audition and he's, you know, the blue collar hard scrabble kid. He doesn't fit in with the rest of the kids. And I remember at the interview, they were going to dismiss him, you know, because he doesn't fit. He was saying all the wrong things. And finally, at the end, the one of the um, people in the panel, they look at Billy and they said, what is it like to dance? And Billy Elliot looks at them and, you know, just the blue collar kid that he is, he just speaks his mind. And he it wasn't rehearsed. He just said, I don't know. He said, it's kind of like electricity. And you see all the heads at the table looking up at him because at that point they knew like, wow, we have this kid. He's a diamond in the rough, you know, and for him to explain that it's electricity, um, it really captivated them. And the reason I went into that long introduction about that movie is because that really was my story. Like there was this moment, it was like this electricity that went through me. And it's just, in a lot of ways, it's hard to put in. And I grew up a very blue collar guy, South Chicago area, steel mills. So in, in some ways, Billy Elliot and I had, uh, you know, I, there wasn't anywhere near the poverty that Billy Elliot's family had, but we, I still grew up in a hard scrabble blue collar area. So I related to that. Um, and then especially what I was going through with this trauma, Billy Elliot was also going through a lot of trauma, losing his mother and his parents, his father was on strike. And, you know, so anyway, there were a lot of parallels. Um, but if people see that, I think we can all relate to that moment of electricity, that spark that just happens. And, you know, I feel like I've got a $20,000 vocabulary, but sometimes you just have to be reduced to like a moment like that. And again, that's what caught the panel. Um, and, and so when I've been interviewed sometimes by some media people and they ask me about that, I just said, you know, it's just unless you've been through it, when that spark happens, you, you just grab onto it. It's like grabbing onto a comet and you ride it because it's taking you somewhere. Um, so it was really positive, but I did sleep well that night. Uh, I had no idea how I'm going to get to the show. <laughs> I yeah. just knew, like, I saw this vision, like I'm supposed to get on this show. I'm supposed to tell my story. Uh, something's connected. Um, so when I woke up the next day, I, I remember I just did what I'm supposed to do. Cause in a lot of ways I shouldn't have lived to that next day. Right. So it was, you know, when I thought about it and I woke up, I'm like, gosh, I have a day. <laughs> like mm. I know some people look at that and think, Oh God, I woke up. I have to go to work today. I woke up and just thought I get another day. And I don't know if people can truly appreciate that. Um, so I, I had breakfast and then I thought, well, I'm supposed to keep going. So I was out of paper. I ended up going to the nearby Staples store to buy paper for the computer. And when I was there, I remember for some reason, I ended up in front of these giant foam poster boards. And there was a lady that came by from Staples and she just said, can I help you? Uh, I looked at these boards and said, do you have more of these in the back in like the warehouse? And she said, let me go check. 
So she walked around and I, I did a TEDx talk. If your listeners know what, I know not everybody knows what those are, but they're just, they're TEDx talks. So people can look it up um, if they don't, but we'll, I did. We'll put a those, link. <laughs> and I shared what happened at that moment. I said, you know, the lady went to go look and then she came back into the aisle and said, how many of those boards do you, well, I never said I wanted any. I, th- I was just, there was this curiosity inside me. Like, yeah. does she have 50 of them? Does she have 30? And I think I was getting this vision uh, of like what they would all look like together. And that was the moment, you know, people say, was there an aha moment? That, that was the moment mm-hmm. I just said, I'm going to take everything you got. So <laughs> she had 10, she had 50. I was taking all of them. Um, and then I ended up that day buying these Sharpie markers. Uh, that day was a 12 pack. And I just had this vision, like, I'm going to go out every day. I think the way I'm supposed to get to the show is learn how to talk about what happened to me. Go talk to strangers every day. Uh, It's going to help me get out of the house. It's going to help me engage with people, which I wasn't doing. I was isolating. Um, It was going to help me tell my story. And then I was going to get support, like just go up to somebody, say, hey, you know, after I tell you quickly what happened to me, you know, can you confirm that I talked to you, that I'm trying to get to the late show? And then I thought, oh, they'll sign their names or put good luck. And people did, but as time went on over all these six years, you know, now I've met 32,071 strangers all over Mexico, the United States. um, And they've signed like stories. People didn't just put their names. They actually started opening up to me. It's incredible. So they've, they've put all these stories um, on 494 giant foam poster boards and 27. And I moved up to 27 Sharpie colors now. Um, so that day I bought a 12 pack and now um, I found that Sharpie has just so many different colors. Um, and that's going to come with me to the late show someday. All that. Out of curiosity, how many board, how many foam boards did you walk out with that day? That day, if I remember right, I thought it was eight, <laughs> eight or nine. It wasn't 50, um, okay. but I did yeah. have, I did have a bunch to me and I didn't know. I thought, do I need one board? Do I need yeah. 10 boards? You know, I just, I didn't know. All I knew is at that moment, it seemed like that was, that was the moment when I gave the TEDx talk, I said, yeah. um, you know, the night before was the moment that kept me going, but that was the, the means um, like, okay, this is how I'm going to do this journey. Um, and it's really like the book, the alchemist. A lot of people would yeah. talk about that in the journey. And I've, I was given that book by somebody on the journey um, so if anybody has ever heard of the, the book, the alchemist, or hasn't heard of it, go look it up. It's a really yeah, good read book, that book, but it's pretty yeah. similar to the journey I've been on. So that, that day, and, and, and so you walked out with, you know, 10, 10 boards and, and now you have, I mean, how many boards have you collected with signatures and stories? I mean, I'm sure you're, are you past that? that number at this point. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's uncountable. Uh, I, and I have a storage area, U-Haul storage area in downtown Phoenix. And I told people, I said, these boards aren't doing anybody any good in that storage area. So I'm, I'm yeah. hoping somebody, yeah, somebody from the late show comes along and says, bring them all here. We want to hear this story. Cause, um, but I, I have 494 giant foam poster boards now that are just wow. completely filled out. Um, you know, I've been in cities like, Boston, Miami, San Diego, Denver, even smaller cities like Shadron's, it's uh, Shadron State College in the Panhandle of Nebraska, maybe 8,000 people in Shadron, Nebraska, but I, they brought me in there to speak to students. Um, so they're not always like major cities, they're suburban areas, they're rural areas. Um, I've been in Wyoming, 
Um, there's a whole powerful story of what happened in Wyoming. I mean, there are powerful stories everywhere. I mean, when you're meeting people, you just, you know, we think that movies and art are where it's all at, but movies and art are often based upon us, you know, humans. Right. And so that's where, you know, we get the inspiration for all this stuff. But in this case, I've captured, uh, I guess if I use the Billy Elliot metaphor, I've captured 32,071 moments of electricity. Um, wow. Because all these people, they share, they share what's energized them or what they want to use to energize me and others. So it's um, something, yeah, I get it. People look at me and say, isn't your goal to get on the late show? Yeah. I mean, but all these other things have happened along the way. So I'm not going to discount it. Um, like you, you and me sitting yeah. right here, Brian. Um, in some ways, I guess, you know, this wasn't part of the plan, but here we are, me and you, uh, yeah, because both Arizona, of, Illinois talking with each other. Right. There, because you know, and what's really fascinating in, in my mind is is you had your day, you weren't supposed to see the next day. And I had that same moment in my life where it was like, you know. I was a split second away from not having another day. Uh, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is, is, is before that moment, before the, the, um, you know, that moment in time, you, you had shared your story, but you shared it in kind of a third party, third party capacity, you made it more of a story. And then what happened after your, you know, that moment of clarity, um, or that moment of electricity, that is when you owned your story. Would you say that's that's correct? Like you really owned it and said, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to be vulnerable. And, you know, it, it, is that is that a true statement for you? Like, did you feel like you took ownership of it at that point? I Yeah, I mean, that day uh, at Staples, I just, um, that was what I was going to do. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think had I talked to 20 people about, my plans of what I was going to do and go on this journey. To be honest with you, I think most people would have said, why? You know, you had a moment, embrace that moment. But a lot of times we don't look at these great opportunities that come along. So yeah, I mean, I feel like that was the part where I owned it and just said, you're right. And I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And to be honest, you know, I've had criticisms from people over the last five, six years. There people will tell me, oh, I'm happy that you're alive. But, you know, a lot of people want me to go out and get a nine to five job. Well, what people forget, they don't always realize this still is a journey of recovery for me. I, I still go through physical therapy to this day. Like those guys screwed me up so badly. It wasn't just with the PTSD. Um, I, I still had a physical therapist. I had a gym with, uh, thankfully, like in Scottsdale, Arizona, there was um, a gym, EOS Fitness, and they donated 10 sessions and they said they wanted to be a part of helping me get back to where I need to be. This was just this past, what, six months ago. And mm. I've had to work really hard because I had some issues where um, with my physical health, I take some steps back and then I have to move forward and figure it out. So, I mean, yeah, this is my this is my journey. I do own it. Um, and I, I don't want people, I, I really believe survivors of traumas, they don't want people to feel sorry for them. What survivors, or like you were explaining, Brian, like you went through something difficult. Mm. Um, you know, the hope is, that people will listen to you, you know, and I, I might guess, and I'm going to be a, probably a hundred percent certain with you too, that, you know, you just want people to understand there's a difference between being wanting people to feel sorry for you or just understand you. If they understand what you've been through now, they can work with you. Now they can assist you, you know, and, um, they're still, when I'm being gaslighted by these guys that did this to me, 
or the police fail to open up that new investigation to, you know, I have so much abundance of evidence. I, I mean, I won't go too deep into that because like I said, there's a whole team working yeah. on that, but those are the things that you just want somebody to say, just listen to me, understand what I've been through because then you can walk in my shoes and you can understand this much better. Um, but I do own it. And I feel like if people look over the last six years at how much success I've had, um, I mean, if I end up dying tomorrow, tonight, I mean, whenever, <laughs> if I die yeah. soon, I feel like I would have accomplished so much more. Um, I leave by, because these boards, uh, a bunch of art folks told me it's called social practice artwork. So now mm -hmm. I leave behind this massive collective story of hope and social practice artwork. Um, there's been a documentary out um, that has more to do with the students at this university that followed me for three months, but they were nominated for an Emmy award and they shared this, this, the initial parts of the journey I was on. Um, so now you've got that, you got a TEDx talk. Um, you know, I've spoken all over the country at universities. And so, you know, w w when you do all these things, you're, you're leaving a huge impact. So I feel like I would rather die <laughs> penniless and have left behind all of this as the legacy of, of my life. Um, so as you said, you know, I own this and I think, uh, maybe that's something good, Brian, that you can share mm. with your listeners is find what you own in your life. Um, you know, I've never put it in that, those direct words, but, um, we each have the ability to, uh, you know, we can't go back and change what's happened to us but we can own the moment and each moment builds and builds and builds until it leaves a legacy. Well, and, and yeah, and just to, to add to that, you know, when it comes to when I, when I talk about owning our stories, you explained like one side of it that, that I didn't consider in the past. Um, but you had talked about, we want, we don't want people to feel sorry for us. We want people to understand, um, understand what we've gone through, understand our story and what it's meant to us. Uh, and on the flip side of that coin, and that's, I think that's 100% true, but then also the unmeasurable side to that is how our stories, once we take ownership of them, once we're vulnerable and we put it out there, you just don't know how many lives you've changed simply because somebody's aha moment may have come when they were walking down the street and they saw this guy with these boards telling his story and then they finally own their story on your board. You know, it's like there's, it's, it's just a, such an intricate weaving of, of lives that, you, you know, just, you know, Stephen Colbert was what got you through another day. And I, I would say out of all the people you've met, at least one had another day because of you and your story and your willingness to share. So, you know, I think that is, you know, yeah, if, 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 if this was the end of, you know, for some reason there was no tomorrow for, for you, uh, well, your tomorrow is going to live on through others. Um, so I think that's, and that's what I love about your story when we talked about this and I'm like, you know, like, wow, like, you know, something simple, something small that, you know, just as having somebody sign a board may seem so insignificant to some, but yet others, it's such a powerful moment. You know, the, the Ted, the Ted talk that was, had you started the mission of um, the, the, uh, so what, what did you call it? social art? Oh, <laughs> social practice artwork. It's called. 
were you so social practice artwork were you engaged in that when the ted talk came about or like what's the timing of of that in relation to each other the timing of that is just i guess sort of luck um i walked into Mm -hmm. a coffee shop in downtown phoenix probably a block from where i was living um and i met this guy and gal they were boyfriend girlfriend at one of the universities in phoenix um and they said can we nominate you for a tedx talk well, I didn't really know what TEDx talks were. Like as I said, yeah. not everybody's going to know what those are. I think a lot of people have heard of them, um, but I was pretty ignorant about like, you know, what are these things? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know the ins and outs of it, so I said, sure. They explained some of it to me, um, and then they ended up having a committee, and they said we want they wanted me to speak. I think if there was one thing I could uh, look at maybe differently from the TEDx talk is that. Uh, what I've learned over the last couple of years is you don't want it to just be a personal story. Those are powerful for TEDx, but what you want is a very clear idea. And then you you can wrap it with uh, a personal story like I had. So it was very emotional story, very personal. Uh, I thought the idea was clear, but as I look back, I think I could have made more clarification, but really the, the, the tenor of the TEDx was it's about people. You know, I I think a lot of times we are always looking for the next medicine. We're always, you know, we're looking for something else, maybe a certain type of therapy. But what we're missing is people are all around us. And that was the tenor of what I was trying to 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 put out there is that, well, these people, you know, and through their Sharpie markers were they're helping me save my life. And it wasn't just about me. Um, So, you know, it was about an example of what people could do. But if I could do a better job of clarifying, I, I would have done that. Cause now that I understand, I even applied for another TEDx talk, another um, aspect of this journey that I think could be incredibly powerful as an idea. So we'll see um, what, what comes from that. But that was probably, oh gosh, one year and a half into the journey when I met those two students. Um, but yes, I had been doing the social practice artwork because Every day I was meeting strangers and they were putting things on these boards. They were actually the medium of the artwork is actually the interaction you're having with all these people. And so I forget exactly where I was at, where somebody said, you know, you're creating artwork. Um, (laughs) It looks pretty. It looks nice. You got a lot of colorful stuff on these boards. Um, But it's really cool Mm -hmm. when somebody in the art world actually identifies it as art. You know, and um, that, and I've had seven art exhibits with these boards. So that, let's hope someday there will be in a permanent exhibit because they're not going to do anybody any good if they sit in a U-Haul storage area for the next 200 years. Yeah. Uh, They won't. (laughs) How did you, so how did you come about the, you know, that moment of sharing your story? And um, the question, so earlier today I had an opportunity to speak with um, some high school kids and we were talking about mental illness. And one of the questions I received was, how do you find the courage uh, or, you know, the confidence to share your story? And, you know, I guess I'm going to pose that question to you now. That, that moment, that first moment that you shared your story and complete vulnerability with complete strangers. What, like, what was that like for you leading up to that moment? And then how did you go about, did you just decide I'm going to go here and I'm going to stand on the street and I'm going to talk to folks or like, what was that like for you? 
It's it's sort of cool too the way you pose that question at me, Brian. Is like you almost sound like a reporter in a good way. Like I'm not trying yeah. to say because I know sometimes people think of journalists and reporters in a bad way now, but I say that in a good way. And there's a tie-in to the first person I ever walked up to. His name is Josh Bowling, and it was at the Arizona State University, their downtown Phoenix campus, which was only a couple blocks from my home at that time. And I walk up to this guy, Josh Bowling. He was a second year uh, student in the Cronkite Journalism School. And they have the, I think it's the fourth best journalism school in the country. So that's why I tied you in. It, said, it sounded like you were being a journalist there, um, <laughs> you know, br bringing up the question, like, what was it like? And I, I feel like to this day, Josh could probably ask me, he's now a journalist with the Arizona Republic, the largest newspaper in Arizona, which is also close to where I live in downtown Phoenix. Um, but it was so cool that we've actually become friends, me and Josh. And then he got married a couple years ago. Um, but I met his wife, Carly, on the journey too. And she was, I think it was her friend when I was at the coffee shop said, wouldn't it be cool if you could go back and meet the first person? And I said, oh, I know him. And I said, it was Josh. And she said, you're kidding. She said, that's my fiance. So it's a small <laughs> world that yeah. we're in. And she's also, uh, she graduated from Arizona State University. But that first moment, I mean, it's just, it was, it took me three attempts to get out of my home that day because I kept coming up with excuses, um, you know, because I started thinking like, to be honest, like the rest of the world. And when you do that, you're allowing everybody else to determine your future. And so I just, there was a moment I just, you know, I'd look at those students and um, is it Champaign-Urbana? I forget if you're Bloomington Normal or Champaign. Uh, I'm in Bloomington, but yeah, Champagne's just right down the road. Yeah, <laughs> but in Bloomington, like when you were talking to those students, and you know, like how do you go out and be vulnerable? For me, really, what I did is I just I didn't I didn't think like the rest of the world because I think so many things we will not do because we allow societal norms to dictate what we're gonna do. And mm -hmm. like to be honest, Brian, like somebody like what what am I doing? I'm going out and walking up to strangers and telling them a story and trying to get on some TV show. I mean, that sounds like true madness, <laughs> yeah. but unless, unless I forget about the rest of the world and say, this is my journey, you know what? And I'm going to mm -hmm. figure out how best to save my life. And if I'm going to help other people doing it, then that's the best thing possible. And so I would tell those students in Bloomington, um, forget about what the rest of the world says. Oh, and I got a good movie reference too, because um, did you, if, if you remember, hopefully your listeners remember this, um, the movie Dead Poet Society with mm -hmm. Robin Williams. Um, there's a moment where one of the students is right in front of Robin Williams and Robin Williams says, tell me what it feels like. What did this poem feel like? And he starts talking and all the classmates are laughing and he says, forget them, forget them. Look at me, focus with me. What did it feel like? And what Robin Williams character is doing at that moment in the movie is he saying, ignore the rest of the world. Just tell me, tell me what it feels like just from pure emotion. And it's so powerful. And I really hope people go back and it, maybe Google that part and or, or put it on YouTube and pull it up. That's what I would tell those students in Bloomington is just forget about the world and, and look at Robin Williams and just tell him what you feel and what do you want to do with your life? And it may sound stupid, it may not, but it, and actually in that part of the movie, those other classmates, when that kid got out what he wanted to say and what that poem meant, they were like mesmerized because mm. they couldn't believe what came out of this guy when he just let go of everything and just, yeah. 
he was vulnerable. So yeah, it was powerful. I like sharing movie moments because I feel like it's something we can all connect with, you know? Right. Like if your listeners haven't seen it, they can go and find it on YouTube, that moment I'm describing. What was your initial um, motivation for, for becoming vulnerable in sharing your story? Like it, 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 maybe, I don't know if it's something totally different now, but that, that first, when you finally got out of the house and you said, I'm going to go do this, what would... What were you hoping to get from that? To be honest, like I, on this whole journey, there were so many moments that I didn't know what I was going to get out of things. I just, just kind of a feeling that was there. I think that's the thing is, did you just know you have to go on this journey? Because if I stay where I'm at, I'm not going to make it. And then let me, let me bring in another movie reference. Um, (laughs) If, if, if I'm giving you too many movie references, have at it. (laughs) But all right, look, look at the movie with Tom Hanks castaway. Yeah. Like, Tom Hanks, toward the end of the movie, he has everything he needs on that island. He's he's stuck. He has food. He's got water. He's got fire. He's got shelter. There's one thing he's missing. He doesn't have companionship. Mm. And he says to himself, I can't just sit here. So when you ask me like the motivation or what what drove me to, to go, I knew I couldn't stay where I was at. Because if I stayed where I was at, I wasn't going to make it. Because in, in, in that sense, there was something missing in my life. I very similarly, like Tom Hanks in that movie, I needed companionship. I needed to be not isolated. And so I just told myself that was the motivation. And I know Tom Hanks, uh, I can't remember what the heck his name was in the movie, but it was dangerous. I mean, <laughs> I'll ruin it for some people, but um, <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't. Because there might be a younger generation that's never seen it. But True. he... He ventures out. Um, it was dangerous. Um, and you have to make that decision. You know, if you stay where you're at, if I stayed where I was at, I wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And I know Tom Hanks at some point, you know, if he'd have gotten sick, you know, yeah, he would have needed medicine and he would have died that way. So I, I think that's a really good movie reference too, is that it's a metaphor for that. That's our motivation. You know, there's a better life. And if you stay where you're at, then you're stuck. But if you venture forward, even if you make mistakes, you got a shot. And and I look at me now. I mean, I I'm not taking any pain medicine. I used to take pain meds all the time for the physical pain. Um, I took prescription sleeping pills. I I had become dependent. You can't become addicted to sleeping pills prescription, but I became dependent, and it was horrible. Um, I'm off. I think it's been four years and a half. I've been off of every pill prescription, pain or sleeping, uh, that has not been easy, but it's this journey that allowed me to, to find my way. Um, and, and, and to be honest, like sometimes people think I had this master plan. No, I mean, in some ways you just go out, you meet people and you figure it out each day. And I think you're probably that, well, I'm going to guess you're probably that way too, is you, you know, You just listen for the, yeah, you listen for the whispers. I like to call them whispers that, that, that creep into your mind that you're like, I need to do this. Um, and, you know, talking about Castaway and Tom Hanks, I mean, I think we're all conditioned as humans to need connection, to, to, to have those relationships, um, you know, whether they're, you know, just friendships, more than friendships, whatever, we need that connection. That's kind of part of what motivates us and drives us to keep keep doing what we're doing. Considering what you went through and 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 the violence and the trauma 
from it and and even some of the trauma that you still have to deal with today until justice gets served um but then the good side of it the connections you have made the 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 the, the ability to tell your story and be comp- completely vulnerable what is it like for you with connection now with relationships now do you have you know cuz i'm thinking if this was me i don't know if i'd be able to trust the person again <laughs> like i would be right. terrified <laughs> Um, and I imagine you've gone through some of that, but where are you at today with your ability to connect, trust, have faith? Well, and, and I don't think I shared, I think I shared this with you when we talked like um, before the show, but yeah. I, I don't think I shared this with your listeners. One of the three people that did this to me and came into the home that night had been a domestic partner of mine for almost a decade. Uh, mm. So this was also domestic violence. The like people throw words around a lot in our lifetime and sometimes words lose their effectiveness because we become desensitized. We, we watch movies. We, you know, we can pull up anything we want on Google, anything. And so when I say this next word, this word I'm going to share with you, it takes on a whole new, new meaning when you actually experience it. But the word is betrayal. Mm. Um, and if, and if you look at, in our history and, and, and whether, you know, some people, if I bring up the Bible, people will say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in a higher power. Well then, then the Bible is still literature. You know what I'm saying? It's like somebody can look at that and say, it is a piece of literature. So in that sense, we can all relate to that. So in the Bible, who was it? Um, Judas, he, he betrayed Jesus, um, a huge betrayal. And then, and you look at, um, was it Shakespeare with Julius Caesar, uh, Brutus, You know, there's another two major pieces of literature, and they both are dealing at some point with betrayal. And again, if I put the word betrayal out, people are like, oh, yeah, and they keep going with their life. And it's like, yeah, until it happens to you, you'll never truly understand the actual power of that word. And I wrote a story called um, Dos Palabras, two words for my editors a couple years back. And the basis was I was sharing about domestic violence. I, I started it off and it says, oh, what did it say? It is love. <clears throat> and then it morphs. And at the end, it says it is betrayal. So it goes from love to betrayal. And it, you see it gently morphing into that. I, as a writer, I've written a couple hundred pieces for editors over the years. To me, that's always going to be one of the most powerful pieces I've ever, ever created. And it's because I took people on this journey to, to be there that night of the trauma And to have the person that uh, was going to be with you for the rest of your life do this to you. And it didn't matter that he was drunk or on drugs uh, and and all the guys were you. I'm always going to remember that. And so when you ask me about being able to trust people again, I have a difficult time. And I I, I think that that's one of the things that um, this journey has been helping me because I'm learning how to talk to people but it doesn't necessarily mean that every single person I meet, I can immediately trust. I've, I've become friends with some of the people in the journey. It's opened some doors up for me. Um, it's, it's a process. I mean, so yeah, betrayal. Gosh, I mean, <laughs> like I said, as great as Google is, it also desensitizes us a lot of times. And um, sometimes there's a beauty to just sitting back and, and looking at certain words in our life, you know, and like even looking at the word trauma or looking at the word recovery, they don't always have to be sad words, but um, I just hate that sometimes things lose their effectiveness because 
because of the abundance of them in the world. Um, but yes, it, it, it will always probably be a difficult time for me to trust people, but I feel like I'm moving in the right direction because I'm trying. Um, and I do every day. That's the, yeah, you just, yeah. One foot in front of the other (laughs) will get you where you want to go. Uh, well, no doubt somebody's listening to this podcast and, um, they, that you're feeling a connection with you. So I want to give you an opportunity to just, you know, how, how can the world connect with you? What's next for you? I mean, we're in this COVID world now where, you know, getting together face to face isn't always real easy, but, um, websites, books, like, you know, if somebody wants to reach out and, and learn more about your story, learn more about you and what you're doing, um, how, how should we direct them? Well, something too, I want to say before, like how they could reach out to me would be, um, if somebody's going through something difficult, I've heard people say before, you know, somebody will come up to them and say, I'm struggling really badly, or somebody will be on Facebook or Instagram and somebody, somebody puts a call to help out there and says, I'm struggling today. You know, I lost my dad, my wife, you know, in the last couple of months, I'm struggling. And I see people, friends that will sit there and say, oh, here's the suicide hotline. To be honest, Brian, that makes me want to cringe. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I do cringe when I see that because here's the thing. I know people are going to say, well, they're trying to help. My goodness gracious. You want to help? Then you help. Don't let yeah. hand it off to somebody else. The greatest person, you know, like if you know somebody, don't, it's like when, when there's a funeral, people go, oh, I don't want to go because I don't know what to say to the, to the people who, you know, the survivors of this person that died just say something like, even if you screw up, if you screw up and say all the wrong (laughs) things, you're still going to be there for that person or those people. And so if you see one of your friends or coworkers or neighbors or whoever, and they're struggling, pick up the phone, call them, go to their house. You know, don't, don't just give them a suicide hotline number. I get it. It's better than nothing. But the thing is like, I feel like we're always trying to pawn it off on somebody else going, you're somebody else's problem. Oh, thank goodness. I gave him the 800 number please, you know, take it, call them. And, and, you know, because if that person ends up dying, you know, is it going to be your fault? Well, no, but I mean, could you have done something to help? Yes. I mean, and you know, I just, I I want people to start not feeling like they have to say every exact word correctly, or they have to go to a therapist to say, well, I have to learn from a therapist what words I should or should not say, you know, can I give one more movie reference? Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, and if people haven't seen this, this is an old movie. It's called um, Steel Magnolias. It's, mm-hmm. gosh, it must be 35 years old, but it, it had like some major A-listers. Um, Dolly Parton, Olympia Dukakis, Julia Roberts, um, Sally Field. Um, I think there were two or three other major. So it was a major film. But mm-hmm. what happens is uh, Sally Field, her daughter, Julia Roberts, dies. And she's young and it's just a shock to everybody in the movie. But there's this famous graveyard scene where nobody knows what to say to Sally Field's character. I mean, she just lost her young daughter and her daughter just had a a baby. And Sally Field's character is screaming and she's in, you know, it's after the service and she's just yelling in this graveyard and her five friends, best friends are around her and they don't know what to say. But what happens is they say something. And they say all the wrong things. <laughs> it's a crazy moment because you, you have to see it. It's, it is, it's, it's really profound. But there is an example of they didn't know what to do, but they started talking. And you know what? In that scene, like one or two minutes in, 
after they say all the wrong things, they actually get Sally Fields laughing. And they have this lighthearted moment in this graveyard after she's just tragically lost her daughter. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Things work its way out. And she was just happy that they were taking the time to show they cared, even though they did it the craziest possible way and did all the wrong things. It worked because she knew they cared. Uh, And that's what I really, I can't emphasize that enough that, you know, don't, don't be selfish if you're out there and think, well, I don't know what to say. To me, that's selfish. It's, you know, figure out something to say, because if that person's gone, you're going to stand over their casket and you're going to find every word to say to them when they're dead. So figure it out when they're alive. Right. You can help <laughs> a lot of us struggling. Um, so anyway, I don't want to keep beating that to a dead pole. No. And, I, and I would just like to add to that too, um, as somebody that has gone through depression and had those moments and those real dark moments, yeah, I, there, I would have given anything on some of those nights just for somebody to be sitting next to me at three in the morning when I'm a wreck and just telling me I'm here. You're not alone. It's going to be okay. Like you don't even have, they wouldn't even have to say anything, just having somebody there and knowing that I wasn't alone in the struggle would have been, um, you know, what to me would have meant the world. So uh, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Say something. That's a, that's a, that's a great, um, that's a, just a great quote. Say something. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. No, don't don't dismiss it. Don't hand it off to somebody else. Be a friend, um, be somebody that cares and just, Hey, I'm here for you. Let me know what, you know. Yeah. And I think there was a song. I can't remember who sang it. Very emotional song. It says, say something I'm giving up on you. Um, I'm mm. sure if somebody Googles the lyrics, um, but it really is, you know, you got to say something. And then who was the guy, John Mayer? Uh, he did a song that says, say what you need to say, say what you need to say. So if somebody looks up that and they see it, it's incredibly, wow. It's just, it's, it's this moment. Um, so I, again, hopefully these movie references, these song references, um, you know, and you telling your story just now, Brian, mm-hmm. like three in the morning, you know, here you are. You'd have done anything to have somebody there. So, I mean, I'm glad you said that because so hopefully somebody listening is going to say, yeah, you know, and say, I do probably have buddies that are struggling. And, you know, even just (laughs) if you call somebody and say, sometimes if you tell somebody, hey, I'm there for you, go a step further and just say, hey, man, I'm going to stop by at eight tomorrow night. You know, set a specific time and say, I'm going to stop by. I just want to drop off. I know you love burgers. So I'm going to drop off your favorite Whopper or your Big Mac. And even if it's during the, the pandemic, I said, you could always ring somebody's bell, set it on their doormat, step back six feet and say, hey, I just wanted to bring you your McDonald's or your M&M's. Um, I like cookies. So if somebody would have brought me chocolate chip <laughs> cookies, that would have been exciting. Or just say, hey, I'm calling you at this time tomorrow. Be ready. I have something to tell you. Um, so be specific or send a letter to somebody. I, I was really good over the last couple of years of sending out personalized letters to my buddies to connect me to the world especially during the pandemic, because I couldn't meet people face to face like I had been. So mm. there are so many ways that you can make a doggone difference. Um, yeah. So I hope people hear what you just said about the three in the morning, um, because there are times that somebody could even say, hey, I actually had a friend that said to me, he knew I was going to be alone for, I think, about a week. This was about two years ago. And he said, I'm going to come over and stay the night with you. And some people think, oh, was it a, like an asexual? No, no, no. It was, he said, I want to just make sure you're okay. And he stayed the night. And it was also, I, 
before that, I had gone through a, a car accident, had a traumatic brain injury, as though my journey wasn't tough enough. Yeah. <laughs> so he knew I was struggling and he said, I want to be there because um, I know, you know, a couple weeks after the car accident, things got a little rough. So he stayed with me and there were some other friends that did the same thing. So that's powerful. So, so hopefully like those three in the morning moments could be attended to, you know? So I'm glad you brought that up. That is, um, I really hope people listen to what you just said there about. Thank you. So to get a hold of, to learn more about you, your journey, what's next, what, what, how would, how would somebody uh, beyond the Ted talk and whatnot, how would they uh, learn more about your, your journey and what's, what's coming up? Well, they, I mean, if somebody goes to Instagram, it's called Blake Late Show on there. Just my name's Blake and trying to get on the Late Show. So yeah, if you went to Blake Late Show on Instagram, I, I've, over the last year and a half, especially, I've tried to do videos that like 60 second videos, really mm -hmm. uplifting, um, tons of pictures, like 1600 photos with the, just probably about 5,000 people I've met on the journey where we hold up the boards. So right. what's powerful about that Instagram you get to see all these people I met just probably about one out of every six people I met is in a photo with me. It just gives you such a, it's pretty cool. Let's just I'll leave it at that. And I'll let people okay. see. Um, there's also been, Oh, that documentary it's called the, the Blake project. It's on YouTube. Those okay. students did Well, they must've done a good job. They got nominated for that Emmy. So um, it's about 26 minutes long. They're, oh, and I got something exciting to share with people. Um, and I'll probably be sharing this on Instagram, on Facebook. It's Blake Late Show too. These, I don't know how many there are, maybe a dozen singers from America's Got Talent, that show on NBC. Mm -hmm. uh, they just contacted me last week and said they've begun working on the song. They're going to create an uplifting song about this journey I've been on. Um, and they said the demo should be ready in a few weeks. So uh -huh. I think that's going to be really cool because we were making – well, we were discussing like some movie references and song references. Gosh, Brian, I think this song they're going to do is going to really impact people um, because I didn't want it to be sad. So I'm really excited about that. I hope people check back over the next month or two to see because I, I'll probably I will be putting something about when that song is released. Um, and then there are some filmmakers that are going to be doing a feature link documentary about this story. Um, not just me taking back my life, but also the pursuit of justice um, so a group of filmmakers are putting together the funding. I think there are going to be a lot of powerful things that are going to come here. And it's just because it's because I'm connecting with a lot of people. We're putting this together, you know, like, uh, in Spanish, juntos, you know, together. And so, yeah, but if people want to start by some of that stuff or go to blakelateshow.com, there are like a lot of like news stories that we share. Yeah. Uh, again, if it's just me sharing my story, people are going to get bored with that pretty quickly. I hope people look at all the references I gave because there are takeaways for people. Again, the, the pictures, the videos, um, the story really isn't about me. It's about like a collection of people coming together. And I think people are going to see that and they're going to pick and choose the things that can help them right. or just make, or just make them happy in life. So, um, so yeah, check you it never out. Know. See what you, you never guys know. Do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if anybody out there is listening and you've got a direct line to Stephen uh, Colbert, please <laughs> go ahead and send him the link to this yeah. uh, this this podcast and let him know. Uh, we'll see if we can't get you on that show because I think, uh, yeah, you would reach so many more people with your story and effort. Uh, but, Ron, you've been the uh, – well, you got me a question. You said your name, Blake. Is it Ron or Blake or – 
Ron's good. <laughs> I don't a lot of times, uh, people. Um, I have two first names. People usually call me Blake. Um, it just it sort of stuck in college and high school. Everybody called okay. me by my last name, so it's just a lot more, more people call me Blake than they call me Ron. And then when I go around with those boards, it says Blake Blake Show, so everybody just assumes okay. my name is Blake. So Blake. I answer to both. When I'm with all my family, I gotta go by Ron because okay. because we're all Blake. But um, yeah, yeah, Blake works. What? Well, I, I just, it, it, regardless uh, 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 whether you want to call call him Ron or Blake, um, you've been an inspiration to me. I'm sure you're going to be an inspiration to everybody that listens to the show. Uh, just just being able to do what you've done after going through what you went through. So I appreciate uh, your time, and and I'm you know so glad you chose to be on this show. And uh, you know, I I hope we get to talk uh, more in the future and keep keep this journey alive for you so sounds good well yeah reach out to me if you need anything um yeah i'm here um i'm not going anywhere unless uh <laughs> we're not all going to be able to determine when and where we're going to go but um but as long as i got a fight in me i'm, I'm going to stick around for a while so yeah let me know if you ever need it there you go. There you have it. My conversation with Ron Blake. Please show Ron some love and support by checking out his links, which we will provide in the description below. But for now, that's going to do it for today's episode. So until next time, be sure you always aim high, be courageous, and go do amazing things. <laughs>